Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined this week by Greg Katz. Uh, Greg, we're going to sort of run down a little bit, uh, a lot of the, the really big news uh, that has come down here over the past week, week and a half or so. And we're going to start with the, I guess, nothing official official yet, um, but the, the two new additions, one renewed edition, I guess, but, but the 2019 class looking a lot stronger. Wide receiver Brew McCoy, cornerback Chris Steele. Uh, at this point, certainly on a you know, collision course with the USC roster. Uh, Brew McCoy enrolled at USC early, left the day after Cliff Kingsbury was hired by Arizona to become the head coach, went to Texas, eventually transferred out of Texas, and looks like at this point he's certainly going to end up at USC. Chris Steele's path, uh, a, a few more commitments while he was in high school to, to UCLA and then to USC, eventually signed with Florida, enrolled early at Florida, went through spring ball uh, with the Gators. He left there, made a verbal commitment to Oregon. Now he's going to be headed to USC. I, I, I think simply put, these are, are two just massive additions for USC. I think even if they don't, uh, you know, don't don't get the NCAA waiver to be able to play immediately this fall. The w- what it means, kind of, for the momentum that USC is a- has been able to build uh, this off season, and and certainly just within these last few weeks, and then getting that kind of talent uh, on this roster. These are two guys that that were widely regarded as you know top fifty prospects. Brew McCoy is a, is a top ten prospect I think no matter where you look uh, in terms of recruiting sites with him so these are two guys that are going to help you both from a recruiting standpoint in terms of USC being able to in this sort of roundabout way keep guys home keep local stars home and then they're gonna uh, as soon as they're eligible they're gonna play early I I have to imagine I'd like to get your thoughts on kind of what you feel about kind of this whole situation with how they ended up here and then the two of them as players going forward. Well, I have, I have a lot of mixed feelings. Uh, Positive feelings, of course, is it's not really where you start. It's where you end up. And uh, obviously it's a, it's a tremendous addition to have both Brew McCoy and Chris Steele come. My my concern about it is that uh, for college football in general, uh, this was so unusual uh, with Brew to attend a school for three weeks and then uh, go to Texas for an entire semester, take classes and finish spring ball. I, I hope, first of all, I open him back with open arms. In fact, I wish he would officially enroll so that this column I've been holding for the last two weeks, I can run it. <laughs> but uh, I figure, okay, you know, just be patient. When he does, you know, you can at least it'll be official. And I think we all know that he's coming. Uh, and, you know, Chris Steele is, uh, you know, commits to SC, then to UCLA, and then he, you know, he, he does, uh, you know, a lot of guys are like that. Uh, but somehow the NCAA, honestly, is going to have to figure out how they're going to deal with this situation, because I think it's just the tip of the iceberg if they don't come up with some sort of rules. Neither player did anything illegal. They didn't do anything wrong. They played by the rules. And, you know, that's how that's how it should be judged. I think personally, I think that Steele has a greater chance to be eligible because of the 
situation that it, that he had at Florida with the roommate and the requesting to leave that room and they wouldn't change him according to what he said. And then, you know, coming back, I thought it was interesting because he said that uh, SC originally didn't have a ride for him. And then, um, you know, he went up to Oregon with his family. And then he realizes that that's a lot of money for his family to come watch him play in Eugene, you know, for six times a year. So with his mother getting laid off from the uh, LA Unified School District, he, he has a very compelling case. I think that Brew would probably be the first one to tell you, look, I was homesick. I didn't like it there. There's nothing wrong with the program, Texas. I like the coaches. But you know what? Um, now that the dust has settled, and I mean, we all have to agree that there was a lot of good stuff that happened at SC after he left by, you know, just by waiting it out. Excuse me. But, um, you know, I, I would be surprised if he's eligible. I, although I do, I will say this. I think it's a win-win situation for both players uh, because here's the reality. The reality is right now it's exciting to get them back. It's exciting that when we get around to talking about Vellis and, and Matt, uh, it's exciting, you know, but the reality is, is it's a win-win for both of these two players, uh, Brew and Chris, because if Helton does well, he'll be back. If he doesn't do well, they'll have a new coach. And, you know, Brew could have a new coach without ever having stepped and used any of his eligibility. So, you know, I don't think that was the primary reason he thought, but I think it was something that I'm sure his family considered. Um, and I think Steele's family always wanted him to go to USC. That's my understanding. So obviously I think you put it best, you know, they're both players capable of coming onto the field right now and playing. Uh, you know, I don't think the players are going to have any animosity towards Brew. I mean, he's got friends on the team and they, you know, I, he's obviously feels comfortable that he can, you know, if there's any hiccups with, uh, you know, teammate uh, questioning about his loyalty, I don't think that's an issue. And uh, let's face it, Chris Steele has, has a lot of lot of potential, and uh, they need a cornerback. So it was a good deal uh, for both of them. So my viewpoint is, we're look, it's it's only June. It's what's really going to count is what happens beginning, you know, in late August against Fresno State. But like you said, this changes their whole perception, the optics of USC. I think John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury put it best after, you know, commenting on both the players coming back. You know, he said, hey, nobody, nobody in the country could do this, you know, go through what SC has gone through and still manage to come out looking not too bad considering where they were. I mean, at the end of the day, SC just has to look at themselves and say, we we caused this whole issue for these guys. These are two local kids that should have just committed to USC, signed with USC, been at USC if, if things are going well there. I mean, once SC starts kind of shooting themselves in the foot, then you get these local kids that, that sort of, I think, start – you know, hey, maybe that's maybe that's not for me. And then they have to maybe come up with reasons. Oh, maybe I should be at Florida for, you know, this reason. Or maybe I should go look at Texas. Or maybe Oregon is right for me and, and some of those schools. And, you know, if, if SC is going well, these are not kids that have to go through what they've been through in terms of trying to find other schools. And so I think that that's something where, for where when USC is involved specifically, this is hopefully fingers crossed something that doesn't happen all that often because 
you know, like, like you mentioned, when SC's going well, they give those types of kids a, an easy decision to make to just stay home and, and go to USC. But I, I will say in terms of fitting back into the team, having seen them play and, and knowing about them, I, I think these guys become two of – immediately become two of the hardest workers on the team. I, I don't think there's any doubt that they – on the weight room, uh, on the field, in the weight room, they are going to go full go all the time. And so I don't have any problem thinking that, that you know, their buy-in is as high as it's going to get. Um, and I think for Chris Steele specifically, because like you mentioned, and I agree with you, he's more likely the guy who will be able to play this fall. You saw how many guys USC – signed it as defensive backs uh, in this class. They needed numbers there. They need answers there in terms of true freshmen who are absolutely going to be called on to play this fall. And, and Britton Allen came in early and looked really good. He played a lot of corner, but got moved to safety right at the end of spring ball. And we were told that's his spot. He's sticking at safety. And so now you're thinking, okay, where, where's that? Where's that corner? Where's that, you know, guaranteed freshman corner going to come from? And it could be Chris Steele. I mean, this could be uh, a guy who, again, if he gets that waiver and if he's eligible this fall, he could slide right in there and, you know, maybe not grab a starting spot. Certainly that there's enough corners coming back where you feel pretty good at the very top of the, the depth chart. But he's a guy that can play right away. He gives you that that defensive back. There's a lot of defensive backs coming in in this 2019 class that are, you know, maybe developmental, maybe down the line. Maybe, you know, every once in a while you bring in one of those three-star guys where it just clicks and this offseason was big for them and, and they're ready to see the field. But I think Chris Steele gives you that comfort level of, you know, here's a guy that we feel comfortable throwing out there uh, you know, with a second team, potentially with a first team uh, and, and going. And that's absolutely something that the de defensive back uh, room needed in this class. And so I think in terms of talent level, you're getting, you know, two of the best, certainly in California, two of the best, uh, I think, in the country, too. So, again, when USC is going well, these are just guys that they get. And, and there's no story at this point. And so you hope that this kind of helps, you know, down the line, the 2020 class, the 2021 class, if these are guys that can get USC back on track and playing well, potentially you're not going to have these stories. But I do agree with you looking at the transfer portal. It's something where it, it I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but it certainly has made it very easy for guys to go in. And then once you're in, the sort of free fall of how many coaches you can hear from and how many people pushing you to do different things. I think we've seen some guys handle it very quietly. And then with some, it sort of becomes this, this whole thing, but uh, two freshmen, you know, going in after, after just a, a session of spring ball, um, you'd assume that's going to get some attention and, and maybe, have the NCAA look at things uh, in terms of, you know, a, a mandatory, you know, X number of games sitting out if you transfer at all. Um, but then, I, you know, there's certainly always going to be the extenuating circumstance where somebody has to move. And, and 
I don't know. I don't know what that answer is, but I, I, the one thing I will guess is that these situations will not be the craziest situations before this whole thing is, is said and done. Uh, to- totally agree. A couple items I did want to touch on. Uh, you know, let's remember about Brew McCoy and Chris Steele for those people that are concerned about they miss SC spring practice. Well, they missed SC spring practice, but they didn't miss Texas or Florida. So they got a real Division One uh, upper-level talent type of experience. So, yeah, they'll have to learn the systems. But the fact of the matter against those type of athletes, those guys who were seniors that are 22 years old or 21 years old, to me, that, that's, a, that's a big thing. The one thing I'll say about the portal, both of these players uh, were probably the type of um, – experience the NCAA will be looking at specifically it's going to be case precedent because they've never had this situation before but I can see it already that they're going to look at a a residence change quote I'm homesick as opposed to something went wrong and I got to get out of there I don't feel comfortable there so you know that that's that's kind of a, a, a getting off point for the NCAA and that's something that they they need to address uh, in the future, I, my my concern also is that including Vellis and 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 Matt Fink, if you're the head coach, I don't care whether you're Pete Carroll or you're you're Clay Helton, how do you formulate your roster when it's in flux? Uh, example, and we'll we'll talk about this. I know in a few seconds here, but in the case of Matt Fink, you know you you think you got three quarterbacks, now you got four back again. How does that affect your recruiting? How does that affect your planning? You know, that's a whole it's a whole different thing about I'm going to test the waters. Okay, and I don't like what I see, so I'm coming back. You know, there's something about that that uh, there needs to be some sort of uh, unified type of legislation. I don't know what it is right now, but something has to be done because what are you going to do? Next year's going to be three times as many players doing this. Uh, it's not just going to be SC. It's going to be other schools. It's going to be in Alabama. You know, I don't think I don't know whether Nick Saban would allow players back on the team. Maybe he doesn't need to. I think it was a good thing for SC, though. Yeah, and we can move in. Valus Jones and Matt Fink were two of the guys. Wide receiver Valus Jones, quarterback Matt Fink, were two of the guys that put their names in the transfer portal. That makes three now. If you count, you know, Greg Johnson was in for a, a couple minutes, I guess, um, before he came back uh, to USC, but. You know, at the beginning of the offseason where guys are just diving into the transfer portal, it seemed like, you know, SC's roster, at least the depth in a few spots, was going to take a hit. Uh, getting Valus Jones back and then having Matt Fink come back, th- those aren't your, you know, top-of-the-line 1A starters. But I think getting Valus Jones back is a nice addition to the wide receiver core. Uh, again, he's not jumping over Michael Pittman. I certainly don't see him, you know, leapfrogging Amon Ross St. Brown after the spring that St. Brown had actually on the field at USC. Uh, but, but he gives you some depth and, you know, offensive coordinator Graham Harrell has talked about the number of wide receivers he wants. And it's something it's, it's a very sort of wide receiver heavy offense where they're running so many routes and you need a lot of guys who know what they're doing and can, you know, actually physically get that done. 
I think having a guy who has the experience that Bayless Jones has, uh, both just in terms of playing in general and also at USC, I think that's a nice addition. I think his addition as a kick returner is nice too. I think we saw all spring it was, you know, guys like Stephen Carr and Michael Pittman and these guys who can really carry your offense. I don't know how much I want to see them returning kicks. Bayless Jones has, has done it a lot. Um, I, I think that may be the biggest plus uh, of him coming back. And then Matt Fink, like you said, I, I think it's always nice to have four quarterbacks, especially a guy who's, again, been in the system. And I don't think Matt Fink had a terrible spring. I think he was good. There were days where he was great. He, he is certainly – not as consistent as the other two, as JT Daniels and Jack Sears. Not as consistent. But when he had good days, he looked really good in this system. And I'm happy he's coming back. If, you know, maybe just to push that a little bit more, what I'll be interested in specifically is how they divvy up reps in the fall. I, I think one of the issues that JT Daniels had last fall came from the limited reps that he got during that fall camp. And I know that Harold and, and Clay Helton have talked about, you know, when they would love to sort of pare this thing down uh, and name a starter and really get going with him. Whoever that ends up being now with another guy in it is going to get fewer reps before that decision happens. Just, you know, I, I'd assume based on the numbers, based on adding another quarterback. So that's something that I think makes this interesting, but I don't think, you know, getting a, a quarterback who has some experience, you know, certainly limited, but getting a quarterback back on your roster when you just weren't, you weren't going to have him at all and, and probably weren't going to fill that space. I think getting him back, both those things are good for the roster. But again, like we mentioned, just in terms of a perception, just to get some kind of ball rolling forward I think these are all these are all big, not to the same level, obviously the the four guys we've talked about so far, but I think they all help sort of you know keep that momentum going momentum that was just non existent if we're talking you know five six months ago yeah you know i i personally I go Vellis Jones, okay, fine, you know he's got experience. But he did miss spring ball. Now, the one thing we don't know about Vellis is this thing that's out there that there was a personal reason, okay? Whatever that is. It may be a very valid personal reason. It might be like Chris Steele. You know, his mother lost her job or, you know, grandpa's sick back in Alabama, whatever the case may be. But, you know, the coaches certainly know. But I think, uh, to, you know, the reality is you weren't at spring practice. And you're going to have to work your way back up the depth chart. And I look at a player like John Jackson III, who had you know, a pretty impressive, a pretty impressive spring. And my thing is, is look, he was there. He, you know, the way uh, he was patient to become eligible at SC, you know, uh, with his father's situation. And I, I have a hard time uh, dismissing that and saying, okay, Bellis, you're you're the number four receiver automatically. First of all, I think he's a he's a good athlete. Uh, I think uh, you know not to bag on him, but he's he's a fast football player, but he's not explosive fast. He's not you know that top end speed fast, but he is uh, you know a player that can that can contribute, and I think they know that. And again, as you pointed out uh, correctly, look, 
they're going to need a lot of receivers. They're going to pass the ball a lot. They're going to have four receivers, five receivers. So maybe it isn't going to be such a big deal. I do think with Fink, the way I uh, understand it is he's supposed to get his degree in July. So to me, is he might be saying to himself, you know what, I'm that close to my degree. I, you know, an FC degree is a big deal. I'll get my degree. And what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, so I don't start, but then I can be, go back in the NCAA portal as a grad transfer, and I can play immediately. And if it's about just playing, okay, I could, I could go to Boise State. I could go to somewhere else and, you know, work on my master's. No big deal. I don't think anybody is saying that Matt Fink is going to be, a, you know, uh, one of the seven rounds of the NFL draft in the immediate future. But I think that I think he's showing great patience, uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, I think he understands what the pecking order is. You know, I, I think at the very top, he's uh, probably the third quarterback. If we're going to be uh, nice about it. Uh, I was incredibly and I think that was obvious just with, with his initial decision to enter the portal so close to the, the exactly end of the spring ball. Exactly. So I think if you look at you know both of these players return, it's not like they're gaining someone. The, when they got the the, the transfer tackle uh, from Tennessee, uh, Richmond. Richmond, yeah, Richmond. Now that's an addition. Okay, that's something they didn't have on the roster initially. And that's a that's an area of, of obvious need. What Vellis Jones and Fink do is they're just returning to the roster as though they never left in the first place. In McCoy and Steele, that's an addition of two players they didn't have last year, two incredibly talented players. I see those as additions. So not to down Vellis or Matt coming back, but, you know, they're returning to where they hadn't, you know, where, where they started. So you know, hopefully they'll contribute and, uh, you know, it'll all work out well for them. I agree. I, I think a lot of that was narrative where it's, you know, look, even these guys are leaving and there's more guys leaving and there's more guys leaving. And and now sort of the narrative has been flipped where it didn't, it doesn't really matter who's coming back. It's just that idea that people want to be at USC means something at this point. And again, none of it really means anything, right? I mean, the games haven't started yet and the games are going to say everything about what's going on in the program right now. So all of this stuff is sort of talk at this point, but Hey, right now, all we have is talk at this point. Um, So, so again, a a few kind of roster changes, some guys back, some new guys, certainly going to be really interesting to see, uh, Bruce McCoy and, and Chris still out there at, at USC whenever they start getting out on the field. Um, one I, guy I who, think one of the go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to move you know, on to Jack Airy. If you have more points about that, go ahead and hop in. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, there is that rumor out there that one of the offensive line recruits may be the person who's not eligible. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's a that's a, a a big deal, because SC can't afford to not bring in offensive linemen. Uh, so you know, some are saying that that possibility was how a scholarship got open for Chris Steele. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's out there. Um, so uh, you know, I'm keeping an eye on that. That to me, it, it, the the four we talked about, obviously, are, are important stories. But the guy, I've been waiting to see who's not going to be of that freshman class, you know, eligible. Uh, and if it's who I think it might be, 
<laughs> you know, that's going to be something that's going to have to be addressed. And, and I think it'll get, you know, hopefully addressed in this 2020 class. They haven't really had a big haul of linemen since that 2017 group. And we're going to see almost all of them potentially as starters this year. I mean, left tackle all the way to right tackle. That was from that class. Um, and so you just, it, it, it has to happen. You can't bring in two offensive linemen, maybe three offensive linemen and, and consider that a successful offensive line class every year. I do like what they've done recently and they have, they, they've offered more West region linemen, maybe guys that wouldn't have USC offers at this point in the past, but you can't keep going after, you know, Ohio guys, Texas guys, Louisiana guys with the hope of, you know, maybe we get one of these guys late. And when he doesn't come, you're left with nobody. I mean, you, you have to set a base of, look, let's get three guys early locally, and then we can start looking around and maybe pick some guys up. Sure. You want five, you know, five-star offensive linemen every time, but you really do need to build because having guys run in three years now, I mean, you, you need that redshirt junior, you know, that, that fifth-year senior. You need guys like that developed in your program to play on the offensive line, and that's just not something that we've seen happening. Um, and so you hope that this 2020 class, again, you, numbers probably down compared to last year just because of the size of the, the senior class on the roster right now. Um, but again, with that, you know, with the, with the transfer portal, who knows what your roster looks like. Like you said, how do you plan uh, when your entire team can just hop in the transfer portal and, and head out? Um, but speaking of the 2020 class, a commitment there had been uh, since spring ball um, that, that USC had gotten a commitment in that 2020 class, but a pretty big one, I think. Again, not, you know, the five-star guy and the the big national guy, but Jack Yeri, a tight end, 6'6", 249 pounds from Murrieta, California, goes to Murrieta Valley. And just a, I mean, again, the name sort of says it all, but just a solid, solid football player. This is a, a tight end who has the potential maybe down the line to to play offensive tackle, but I, I think he's a really good tight end, catches the ball well, he blocks well, he runs well, all of that stuff. Um, and so he's in there. This is now two tight ends came in in the 2019 class in Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray, another tight end here. I'm, I'm honestly interested to see how the tight end fits in this offense because this year certainly with, with Josh Follow there and then the two freshmen you have – some talent there. Um, I, I'm curious to see how that position plays out uh, in this system, in Graham Harrell's system. But I certainly know, Greg, that you've you've got to like that last name being on the USC roster again here coming up in the next few years. Well, you know, I must tell you that you, you know, maybe when when I look at film, I'm always probably hardest on the legacies because the expectations are so high. But I will tell you, I think that Jack Yeri, everybody I have talked to, people that I go to, that I trust, the common public may not know who they are, but they're very knowledgeable people when it comes to scouting. And they all tell me that Jack Yeri is undervalued, that he's, he's higher than a three-star. So people get into the star system. He's a four-star. 
you know, if he was at modern day, would he be a four star? If people didn't say, let's say he wasn't just a Yeri, would he, you know, well, he's just, that's why he's there. No, it's no different than Ricky Gray's son, Ricky Ellison, uh, you know, said Rhett. You know, everybody said, oh, he's just a throw in. No, these guys bring a work ethic from their fathers. They can play. Now look at Ricky, uh, or excuse me, Rhett. He's in the NFL, okay? Uh, I think it's a win-win situation. It won't shock me one bit if if uh, Yeri ends up moving to tackle. His dad was a tackle. He 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 has he he he. It's not going to be like, oh heck, I got to play tackle. I want to be a tight end. The the thing was is you're absolutely correct. I've watched him. He can move. He can catch. I mean, when you look at him and say, well, he's in high school. What more would you want him to do? You know, do you want him to be faster? Uh, you know, I watched him block. He's knocking people down on their back. And uh, like I said, if, if he was at a higher profile school, uh, somebody's going to take him on their All-America uh, All-Star game. Somebody's going to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that, that Jack, it's funny because I remember uh, Ron Yeri's brother, Wayne, who was an offensive guard for USC. Uh, uh, Jack looks a lot like Wayne. He doesn't necessarily look like Ron. He looks somewhat like Wayne, but Wayne was was smaller. Uh, Jack has it all. You can see Jack easily getting to 300. And, uh, you know, you get an athlete like that playing offensive tackle who has already pride in the position because his dad is a legend. You know, he's one of the greatest players ever, no matter whether it's SC or no matter what school it is. And in the NFL as well, you got to say this guy is going to bring a work ethic to whether he plays tight end or whether he plays offensive tackle. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I think you, you, you're such a, you know, hands-on with the recruiting. You know that SC is recruiting other tight ends right now. Uh, so you have to wonder, the, the tight ends that they're recruiting, are they going to be the true tight ends? Because in the back of their mind, do they see uh, Jack Gary going to tackle? I'll tell you what. He's going to be a tremendous prospect if he becomes a tackle. He might be a very good tight end, but as a tackle, he he, he might be up there for, you know, in two years, uh, all-star type of uh, look. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go move him to offensive tackle right now and tell him he's got to play there. But when you start looking at the offensive tackles who are being taken in the first round of some of these recent NFL drafts, this this is what they look like as high school prospects. I mean, you're, you're not really seeing those big, massive tackles excel in terms of where they go in the NFL draft. I, I mean, it seems like schools or, or, you know, NFL franchises are really focused on guys who come in looking like this, put on the right kind of weight during college, and then end up extremely athletic and able to play that tackle spot and it's you know 250 pounds 255 pounds going into college that's what some of these guys were some of these guys were just strictly tight ends you know going into college and so I think that's where that and his you know his obvious blocking ability and then obviously the pedigree but I think that's where some of this uh, a lot of the offensive line um, offensive tackle talk comes in but you know like you said you leave him at tight end and he's a great tight end. And it's one of those commitments that 
it's nice to get at this point to, again, you talk about that momentum and just having kind of some positive things moving that ball down, down the field right now uh, during the offseason. That, that's a nice one to get at this point. I don't think it's a surprise. You know, certainly had he committed elsewhere, that would have been the surprise. Uh, but getting him in that 2020 class, starting to build a little momentum there, uh, I, 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 liked, I liked the player in the class. I liked when it happens. I think that's going to be a, a big positive. Um, but moving forward with this, we have talked about a lot of positivity with USC right now, which does not feel comfortable, just how USC has sort of acted and the decisions they've made lately and all of that. And so, of course, we've got to throw this into the news coming out that uh, Pat Hayden is looking at as, a, as possibly being linked to the admission scandal. And this is federal investigators, a, a, a report saying federal investigators are, are looking at his connection potentially with Rick Singer, who was, you know, the mastermind of that college admissions bribery that uh, several USC employees were caught up in. Uh, in. In a statement, Pat Hayden did admit to meeting Singer, but obviously denied having any idea of, of what was going on. It's just, it's one of those, you know, the lead in the LA Times, you've got kind of what was the story of USC a few months ago. It's, it's just that bingo card. You've got federal investigators, Pat Hayden, USC, Rick, Sing Rick Singer, cheating, all those words, you know, in that LA Times lead. It, it's, you know, again, it's just not a look that you need right now when you're trying to move forward. There's just this rope that is constantly pulling USC back into these kinds of stories? Well, I think it's, um, I think for Pat Hayden, it's pretty much uh, consensus that uh, the All-America boy that he was when I watched him play at SC and, you know, the way he represented the school and everything, the, the older adult Pat Hayden uh, is not the same person. Uh, it's possible he was always where he was, but obviously one of the things to always keep remember is when the, when the, when the feds say that you're this, uh, you know, a person of interest, well, why, why is Hayden who has a lot of money, millions? Okay. Why is he having his, his son-in-law uh, speak for him? Okay. Uh, wouldn't he have a high-priced lawyer to speak for him? Um, I think the other thing that uh, I find, that if I'm Pat Hayden, you know, the thing is, well, you know, they've, they have, they've never come to talk to me. Well, we all know, seeing some of the big stuff that's going on in the country with the Mueller investigation, usually the people that they're targeting are the last person to be interviewed because they want to get everybody's background and then they're going to test when they, when they speak to him to see if his story matches with the other people. I, I think it's unfair to brand him guilty uh, at this point, but the fact that he's been linked in some manner uh, is, is disturbing. Uh, it's disturbing because basically uh, Hayden went through that other thing with the, uh, 
scholarship fund where his, I guess it was his daughter and his, you know, another family member, you know, didn't break the law, but ethically making millions off of a, you know, scholarship thing for kids uh, just doesn't swallow right. So I think that what this does is I, I don't think it hurts the SC football program per se, but I think what it does reflect upon is just how SC has gone about selecting athletic directors. Okay. You know, no experience. I mean, I'm not going to bore the audience here with, with what they already know, but somehow, some way, excuse me, the new, the new president is going to have to address this with the athletic department. Remember that uh, Hayden was basically, I believe, in charge of the woman uh, that uh, had to leave the school. He was under tremendous heat criminally. Um, and people want to say, you didn't know about this person doing this? Really? And with Hayden's kind of trail of what happened with the scholarship money, it, it, th- there's a lot of smoke there. It's, you know, hopefully for Hayden's sake, he isn't linked to it because you, you could be talking about, you know, besides heavy fines, you could be talking about uh, prison time. I mean, because you just have to look at the other people. And, you know, when, when things go down like this, like with Singer, these people are all going to be looking out to save their, their own cell, you know, souls. So who knows what they're going to be willing to, you know, tell the federal investigators. So I, uh, I think it's a dark moment. For Pat Hayden, even darker, he's also the the point of controversy for the Coliseum renovation. Uh, you know, I I'm on this project right now. This he doesn't have a lot of credibility, and uh, you know, he's an adult. You know, with the old saying, if you're going to do the crime, you're going to do the time. Hopefully, it doesn't reach that point. But uh, I think you have to be open minded about it. I mean, I, you know, for his sake, he better hope this case doesn't actually play out in the court of public opinion, because I, I think a lot of people have sort of, you know, again, made up their minds, if not already on, on this thing, you know, probably already in the past with what's gone on. And, you know, USC sort of has the poster boy for turning the narrative of their life after leaving college. I mean, you know, OJ Simpson is always going to be that. but what Pat Hayden has done sort of in the later years, certainly not anything close to, you know, not trying to compare those two, but again, like you said, the idea when Pat Hayden left USC that he could eventually be looked at by a lot of USC fans in this light, the way they look at him now, that's shocking. I mean, even, even when he was hired, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But I think most everybody had an idea that he's going to, understand or at least figure out how to get this thing going in the right way. And it just, I did not happen. I mean, that's sort of the easiest way to put it. And then when all these other things are just piling on and piling on, you just, you wonder when can you finally dig out from all of this rubble uh, over the last couple of years and, and, and take a breath. And it seems like, you know, with the new president coming in, maybe that's around the corner. Um, but again, like I mentioned, it just feels like this rope that is constantly pulling you back and you just, you just want to shake free of it. You just want to move forward a little bit. Well, I think the fact that he's not really affiliated with SB any longer, 
kind of is a is a is a blessing. I hate to use that word, but kind of a blessing that he's not involved in a lot of it. But let's face it, he's still connected to uh, Clay Helton. He, he hired him. Okay, he's still connected to Steve Sarkeesian. Okay, I think the thing is, is when you get a, a federal probe like this, and then you look at the other decisions he's made, it doesn't reflect well on forget about that his title is athletic director, his decision making. How does you know, he's supposed to be a Rhodes Scholar. He's supposed to be this bright guy. But, you know, I think we all can say we've known bright guys that didn't have a lot of common sense, okay, that they were just bright in the classroom and they get A's, but they, you know, fell out of bed. But when they have to actually make decisions on things, they just see the world from a different light. And, uh, you know, he, he very much, to me, strikes somebody who sees the world differently. And, unfortunately, for USC – his decision-making has been just absolutely, uh, you know, abominable. You know, it's, it's just atrocious. And I think that uh, I don't know anybody really, unless you really, really like Pat Aiden, I'd say that 98% of the people now uh, will never look at Pat Hayden as a, a great quarterback at SP. They're going to look at him as this in totally incompetent uh, human being that quite possibly has gotten himself into some really, really hot water. And on that positive note, we're going to end it. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. <laughs> I hope everyone feels real cheerful, real cheery uh, after that conclusion there. But again, like hey, you started out, you started off on a on a positive note. Come on. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping back around there. <laughs> like we mentioned at the beginning. I mean, th this was a, a big week potentially for the future of USC with, with Brew McCoy and Chris Steele. We mentioned a little bit the offensive line is going to, I think, sort of tell the tale as it does for just about every program every year. Uh, but these are a couple guys who can help you, again, once they're eligible on the field right away, they can help you with recruiting. They help in the weight room. It's, it's two pretty massive additions. I, I know there's going to be a lot of talk about – you know, the decisions they made and how they got here and, and are they the type of kids that can, you know, help out and is this going to be a constant issue with them? And I, I think the situation, the circumstances surrounding it, they, they just sort of this, this year with this class, the way USC is right now, kind of all aligned in a way that led to this. I, I just don't see these two being issues. And I, again, I know I've, I've said it a couple of times, but I see this as being a, a pretty big week adding Brew McCoy and, and Chris Steele. And I think that is a, a big time positive uh, in the immediacy and for the future of USC. So we're going to end this on, on a positive note uh, with those two guys. Um, so again, that, that kind of wraps up, you know, the, the week in Troy, the, the week at USC. Um, thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast. For Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney.